information booth out there. Uh, grab that and read that. Uh, but also, second announcement, two weeks from today, on September 8th, we're going to do the church picnic, and we're going to have the service out at the park, at Gun Park. So one service, at 10.30, you'll notice that what you're supposed to bring there, lawn chairs and such, and we just want to gather as a, both services come together, just do one large service there, and uh, we'll pray that it's going to be a really a nice day, and uh, we can have a lot of fun together and get to know one another. But so... Uh, two weeks from today, there won't be. If you show up here, you won't get anything. Uh, there's be nothing here at the at the church. So today we have come second week. Started a series last week on this issue of serving God, and it's a a, a topic that a lot of people struggle with. I've discovered this over the years of ministry, and because oftentimes again it leads to this guilt on people of going okay. Um, and but again, the guilt is the Holy Spirit's role. So my my goal is not to make you feel guilty, but it really is approaching a question of how can we come to that place of serving God, where we're serving out of delight, where there's not just obligation and we feel like it's a cross to bear, but to come to a place where we enjoy it. Matter of fact, in the, in the topic, I, in the series on that title, I chose the word delight very intentionally. Now, it's an interesting word because I think we don't understand what really that means, but let me put a psalm from 35 here where it uses this word. If you punch it into a Bible program, you're going to find that it's all over Scripture This is where it's used here. But verse 27, Let those who delight... In my righteousness, shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Now, I've got to stop there because when, when that context there, delight, he's talking about actually David himself. It's not delighting in God, his righteousness. Okay, that's referring to David and how he responded to Saul and how he treated him right. Okay, so people were in one sense applauding him for doing the right thing. But you'll notice that David turns it and he uses this word, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant, meaning that he's giving credit here to God about how, what he's done in his life. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and your praise all day long. A question for you maybe even light of this. Do you believe that God delights in you? If you're a child of God, do you really believe that? Or is God, does God have a stick? And every time you sin, he whacks you. Or maybe in a series like this, he's whacking you because you're not serving or doing something like that. Do you believe that he delights in you? Let me throw one from Jeremiah. The weeping prophet Jeremiah tends to be some very hard things, but look at how he states it in 15.16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. You see the attitude of, of Jeremiah here as he views God, but he delights in his word. So in one sense there's this it's not tension, but God delights in us and we delight in Him. 
There's this mutual delight that we can have with our Creator. But functionally, you go, what is delight then? Well, you'll notice in this particular verse, he uses both joy and delight, and they're two different words. But if you were to really define what delight is, it's this, abundant joy. you got joy, and then you got joy upon joy upon joy, and that's delight. And the question, do we live lives where we're delighted in God? Or do we kind of walk around with a chip on our shoulder and, okay, I've got a delight today. You go, no. Do we delight in God? Because God delights in us. But how can we come to this place? Well, when you use that word that we can serve God out of delight and serve Him with delight. And the challenge is that so many people in churches serve God not out of delight, but out of different motives. And if you want to go back, we hit motives last week. If you weren't here, you can listen online. But as, it, as we look at this topic, how, then how do we get there? And, and that's where we want to begin with this, this morning. So how do we serve Jesus, serve God with delight? Let me put up the first point for your notes if you're using the bulletin outline there. I said this, we must move from thinking that serving is doing a task to serving is a way of life. Now let me explain this. A book that I read a number of years ago, by the author's name was Robert Clinton. It's not Bill Clinton the president, okay, it's a different person. But he walked through this process of leadership and looked how leaders were developed. You'd go back and analyze basically a Bible character and go, what was going on in that person's life and how did leadership work with those different Bible characters? And there was a couple of aha points for me as I read that book. And one of them is this is that leadership oftentimes starts as a task. You do the task, you do the assigned role, that's the beginning point, but as leaders develop, it goes to a place where it is much more than just the task that influences people. All of a sudden, it's the character of a leader. It's the values of a leader. It's the vision of a leader. It's the leader understanding where people need to go. Leadership widens, and so the person is impacting people more than just doing the task. That was the first aha. And then even in the context of that, I discovered that, you know what, all people aren't called to formal leadership, even within a church, and that's okay. But a second aha for me was this, is that same principle that it starts with task and moves towards something different also applies to serving, to serving God. And I started observing people and realizing that people, some people approach church and serving within a church as a little box, a nice tight box of instructions that they're supposed to do. But then other people, you look at it and go, it's a lifestyle. It's just what they have to do. Matter of fact, there was a couple in my college ministry, uh, Mark and Renette. Uh, Renette passed away a couple years ago at 51. She, was, she died young. But they were a key couple for me in this college and young career ministry. Now, while they would do all the tasks that I asked them to do, 
all of a sudden you looked at their life and you go, now this wasn't a task. This was a way of life for them. And let me explain that. They would be inviting college and young career over to their home all the time. Mark would be getting together with guys for breakfast. They'd have lunch with people. They would have supper with these young, young adults. They would be inviting them into their lives and it became a way of life. Serving these young adults was not a task in any sense of the imagination. It was a lifestyle of serving Jesus. And they were connecting these young adults with Jesus. And it wasn't the duties that they did, and they did the tasks, they did them well, but for them it had slid over into serving Jesus was really a lifestyle. And now, do I think that they started out that way? The answer is no. I, I think there's this process that we go through, but they were faithful to the tasks, and God just kind of opened their eyes and did some things in there. But I think they started out serving as a task. But the byproduct of Mark and Renette's life, if you were to look at their lives, and even even though even still Mark today, who's a who's a, a a father that you know that doesn't have a wife anymore. It, this would still be I would label them this joyful. They delight in serving. He delights in God. Serving isn't a task. It's still even a way of life for Mark. See how do we get to that place where we're serving God not as this oh I just got to serve today and it's got a cross for me to bear. And it's going to take up, you know, so much time and whatever. How do we move down that path? Well, let me give you one piece, as I think, where people have to go to get to that place. We start out there, but the goal is to move to a different place. Letter A for your notes, if you're taking that, I said it this way. Serving as a lifestyle begins with walking with Jesus and participating in his mission. Now let me demonstrate this through a text. Luke chapter 5. You want to turn in your Bibles there? We have it on the screen as well. Uh, This is a text where it talks about three of the disciples. But let me begin. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him and to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, that would have been Peter. He asked him to put out a little more from the land, and he sat down and he taught people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished, at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. 
Now the first question, have you ever wondered when you read this, you've probably read this at some point, what happened to the fish? They just sit there and rot? <laughs> that was catch and release the first time that it happened. But let me, let me kind of go down a path here. What would happen if Peter, Jesus is saying, effectively, you've got to come and follow me. You're going to come and you're going to serve me. Okay, this is the call on their life. But Peter raises his hand and says, Jesus, you know, I know that you're a really special person. And I can follow you, I think, on Mondays. Because that's when I'm not fishing. Oh, and by the way, you know what? I attend the synagogue every week. So, you know what? Saturdays I can't do it as well. But every other day of the week, I, I'll follow and serve you. You know, we're good Jews, so i got to do that on Sunday or Saturday. And then James hears this and he pops up and he says, Jesus, I need Thursdays off. I'm a pitcher on our softball team. And, and you know, we're in the league, the Galilean league. And, and Jesus, you know what our name of our team is? Jews for Jesus. But I can't serve on that day. Any other day I can serve, but not that one. And, and then maybe John hears this and says, Jesus, I can't follow you on Sundays. Because that's the day all the weddings are done. And I'm in a band. And I do these, this Jewish polka stuff. And it's really popular at the weddings. And it's a, really a good source of income for me. You know that fishing hasn't been very good for me lately. I, I need this to make ends meet. And then he starts thinking and he goes, you know, I, I guess what I can do, I'll give you about 10 hours a, week, a month or so. And you go, with that conversation, what, what would have Jesus done if they would have had done that? That verse 11 there, and when they brought their boats to the land, filled with fish, they left everything and followed him. Folks, this is a type of surrender. Because God called Peter and James and John to a life of servanthood at this point. It was to spend time with Him. To learn from Him. To be used in the mission of reconciliation. In God's mission. And it was on Jesus' terms. It wasn't on the disciples' terms. See, I think the challenge is we keep wanting to negotiate with Jesus. But let me point to another scripture here. Let me, let me give you another one. 1 Kings 19. Now, now the context of 1 Kings 19 is that um, Elijah had been under depressed under a tree. God takes him up to a mountain and he passes by him, just like Moses passed by, or God passed by Moses. And, he, and Elijah saw the glory of God. But after that, God tells Elijah to go down and anoint a new king, Jehu. Uh, Ahab, who was the current king, was going to be toast. Okay? Uh, so he was going to do that. But then this, he had to go pick his successor. Someone who was going to take over his role 
And that person is going to be Elisha. And this is where we pick it up in verse 19. So he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and he cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back and what for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and he took the yoke of, of the oxen and he sacrificed them and he boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. At first blush, you hear this and you go, he wasn't willing to drop everything and go. Not like the disciples, but when you dig a little bit, you realize, yeah, he did. He, he was, you know, he'd go back and kiss his mom and dad goodbye. Maybe he was a mama's boy, huh? But, but if you examine this closer, he was making a statement to his family and his friends on this issue of following and serving God. Do you notice what he sacrificed and what he boiled? Oxen. That which, which, which was used to plow his, the farm. And do you notice what he used to boil the oxen? The yokes. The wood. They would have been wooden yokes. And he splits them up and that he uses that for the fuel to, to boil... The meat. Now understand this. This more than likely would have been his dad's farm. And, but this would have been his livelihood. And this would have been his inheritance. And symbolically, he gets rid of them. And 12 oxen would have meant that this was no small little farm at all. This was a large, probably very large type of a, of a business. But this Elisha was announcing to his family and his friends that he was now going to serve God. And it was a new way of life. It wasn't just temporary employment. This was a new lifestyle for Elisha and he was going to participate in the mission of God. Actually, it was, you understand, even there, it was already preparing for the Messiah to come. And now some people look at this text and go this, Ken, this is just for the people that are called to ministry. And I go, no, I don't think so. Because the challenge, if we claim to be a disciple of Christ... He calls us to be disciples 24 hours a day. He doesn't call part-time disciples. So for a disciple, we're, we're at work, at home, at play, any other time. It's 24-7. See, the disciples of Jesus spend time with Jesus and are joining the Holy Spirit in God's mission. But let me give you another text yet, one more. This, is, this character is Joshua. Joshua chapter 24 and this text gives a very clear call. Something that at times I don't think we care for. 
Look at verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now just stop there a moment because I'm going to skip some verses. Right after this, he reminds them how much God had done in their lives, the faithfulness of God, how he, that God was a jealous God, and this call to serve God. And by the way, Joshua here, he would have been 110 years old when he did this. He was still serving at 110. But look at verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, we, this phrase, this last verse there, we put up on plaques and we put in homes. But do you notice that Joshua called the question, are you going to serve God? And you notice that this isn't one of those gray texts. This is either we choose to serve God or we don't. And I understand this applies as well. Just catch this. Corporately, this can apply to a church collectively as well to as, as us in terms of individuals. But let me keep reading here for you a second. Look at verse 16. I'll put that on the screen. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land, and therefore we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. I'm going to stop. I don't have any more verses on the screen, but if you look at the next few verses, if it's in your Bible, understand that Joshua knows the history and the ups and downs of serving God. He understood sin. He understood the lure of idols and the world around them. He, that idolatry ruins people's lives. And while I don't have this on the screen, Joshua comes back and he challenges again, and, again, and he basically says this, no, you won't. You're unable to do it. You won't be able to do it. And they come back and says, say, basically say, yes, we will. We'll do it. And, and it says this, his voice we will obey. And then what Joshua did is he took a big stone and he put it in place as a marker to signify their commitment to serve God and God only. Now, many of you know the rest of the story of Israel. All of a sudden, years later, they asked for a king. They weren't happy with just prophets. And they were given a king. And then there would be a good king. And they would be serving him collectively. And then there would be the bad king. And they'd go down in the valley and ignore God and follow all kinds of idols. But there is a truth here, I think, that we have to understand and catch. And for your notes, I said it this way. 
We either choose to serve Christ or we choose to serve something else. There really is an either or here. I think it's pretty clear with for Joshua. Maybe to say it different, everyone serves. It's just who or what are you serving? See, everybody is serving something. Could be self, or we serve God. But there's another reality that I think we gotta acknowledge. If we want to be honest with ourselves, and on the screen I put it this way, deep down, we must admit that too often we want to serve God and, and serve something else. And here's, I think, how we do it. Because we don't really like this either or. So we have to figure out a way how we can, in one sense, kind of appease ourselves to serve God and other stuff. And, and I think here's the way we do it. We create, put our life into a series of boxes. And let me put an example on the screen. On one hand, you think of a week, and we go, Okay, 40 hours a week, that's my work box. And then the next one is, I'm going to serve Jesus two hours a week, that's that box. And then we're going to do pleasure stuff 12 hours a week. Taking care of the home is going to be 10 hours a week. I'm going to read my Bible about an hour a week. And we create these boxes in our mind, in one sense, to convince ourselves that we're still serving God, as long as we have the serving box in our mind. And here's the tension. Someone comes along and preaches on serving. And you know what the temptation is? Let's see, serving two hours a week. I know, I'm going to increase the box to four hours a week. And that's, I'll double my time in terms of serving God. And I go, hmm, no. See, if we're a disciple of Christ... He's calling us away from boxes like this to a lifestyle of serving Jesus. It becomes a way of life. And the challenge is, let me go down an alley. For parents, if you're a parent here, very subtly, I think what we communicate to our children is that serving in boxes is the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, give two, four, six, eight, ten hours a week to God. And here's the dilemma that you have is that when teenagers begin to grow up and when they get to that place where they start to cognitively interpret things, and they're evaluating things. They look at mom and dad and they begin to see mom and dad's spiritual life as a set of boxes. Oh, mom and dad give four hours a week to Jesus. And that's how we begin to define it. And I think, matter of fact, this millennial generation right now from 18 to 33, I think they're seeing that and they're looking at it and they go, we don't want it. We don't want our faith to be like that. Here's a challenge for you that are parents. What if you were to go to your son and your daughter and ask what their perception of you really is? Hard? 
Yeah. Are you serving out of a box? Is your faith just a box? I, I came across a stat which I think intersects here in this issue, especially with parenting. Do you realize that about 65% of the builders' generation, I think it's like 67 on up right now, that's builders, something like that, uh, maybe a little older, but about 65% are regularly connected to a church. Okay, 65%. Boomers, which is, that's me, that's the 50s, predominantly 50s, early 60s right now, 35% are connected to a church. Gen X, you're the 34 and 40s right now. 15% are connected to a body. Generation Y, which is the millennials, 18 to 33 right now, 4% are regularly attending church. 4%. I think millennials have rejected what we're doing in terms of our faith and living in boxes. But let me point out another dilemma as well. As I was pondering this issue, we're going to have community groups starting, kind of sign-ups will be in the end of September. And the, the challenge is that people look at jumping into a community group, but here's how they want to tend to view it. You know what, I'm just going to increase my... Put, with that community group as a box. I'm going to give three hours every other week and it will be a box. And I go, no, that's not what we're after. We want community groups is about community and people really getting to know one another, relationally speaking. And community, one of the values that we want in those community groups is that people would bless other people. Maybe to say it just a little bit different, it's this. Serving people outside of ourselves. Serving our community, serving our neighbors, serving the body, serving the community out there. So my fear is that we will look at community groups and go, oh, they're just one little section of a box. But... See, this comes back to last sermon, last week's sermon. What is our motivation for serving God? What are the motivations for not serving Him? Now, now understand, listen to this carefully. When I say a lifestyle of serving, it doesn't mean that you're at church every night of the week. That's not the issue, that you don't have time to rest, you don't have time for family. That's not it. Serving as a lifestyle means that we are walking with Jesus in such a way and listening to the Holy Spirit is that when God, through the Holy Spirit, puts those things in front of us that we're compelled to respond and we're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is wanting in our lives. And that's not out of guilt. It's out of, I just got to do it. I'm going to respond to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Now, I've got to go back to something I said I was going to do last week. Because at times you go, okay, are there other motives then that we serve? And the answer is yeah. 
There's lots of motives that are not that. It actually is other reasons why we end up serving. Let me give you one of them. I need to work these in here the next few weeks, but one of them, the false motive is this. We serve Jesus to pay Him back. Jesus, I'm going to give you 15 hours a week to pay you back. And listen, you died for me. I owe him. But here's the challenge. We don't relate to Jesus. It's not a mortgage. We don't have to pay God back. Salvation was never just meant to create slaves. And then to pay him back, you owe him back. Matter of fact, look at 1 Corinthians 13.3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, I can give away, sacrifice everything, and I can give away all my time. And if the motivation that's somewhere in there, it isn't, if it's not because of love, Paul writes, doesn't count. The motive is wrong. And some of you are fighting me right now. They go, okay, what about gratitude though? That word gratitude. Well, here's the tension with that word. There's really two paths that we take with gratitude. One of them is this. I owe somebody something back. And the other one, actually it can build love toward that which we have gratitude toward. But let me give you an illustration how it really sometimes doesn't work right in terms of gratitude. For example, you have a 10-year-old son. And at Christmas time, you really love your son. And you go, I'm going to give him a new 10-speed bike just because I love him. Now, what if your son, after that presence had opened, he sees the bike, he's fallen in love with it, and all of a sudden he decides to do this. You know what? i got to pay mom and dad back, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to get up every morning, I'm going to clean the room, I'm going to make the bed, and I'm going to pay them, I'm going to prove to them how good a kid I am. Now some of your parents are going, I wish my kids would clean the room, okay? <laughs> and it doesn't happen. But understand... Catch this. This is a little subtle, but it's it's so true. What does the son believe about love at that moment? What does he understand that he hasn't yet been captured by? And, and it's this: is that love is unconditional. And for him, what he's really saying is, mom and dad aren't really that generous. That mom and dad give with strings attached. And if I give you a bike, that means that you have to then make your bed every day. That's what the son is believing. And folks, that's just not true. That is not unconditional love. And if we think that we have to pay God back and to serve Him, I'll say it very strongly. You don't you haven't figured out what it means, the love what the love of God really means and grace. Because there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to pay God back. Our work means nothing to God. It doesn't pay him back in any type of way. When he invites us to serve, 
He's inviting us to know Him, to experience Him, to experience His love, His mercy, His compassion, His faithfulness, His grace, and even His presence. Where when we have to serve, we've got to depend on the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit connects to us as we serve Him and give our lives to Him. And the more that we are captured by God's love and grace, the farther we're going to move toward a lifestyle of service. It's the issue. It's the key. And, and you know what the challenge is? And it's so hard this time of the year for churches all around the country because I, I talked to a couple even this last week, some people from different churches, and they're, they're, everybody struggles to fill the, the spots in the fall for starting up. But I would say it this way. This sheet that lists all the training and, or all the opportunities to serve at, at, at our church and every other church puts the same list together. But if we were really captured by the love of God and we're starting to move toward a lifestyle of serving Him as a body, as all church, this applies to every church, you know what would happen? These sheets that you put together for serving, they'd be thrown away. They wouldn't have them. There'd be people lining up, frankly, to serve because of joy. Because they want to know God. Because they want, by walking with God, they're, they're listening to the Holy Spirit. But folks, it begins. Serving Him as a lifestyle begins by getting out of the boat and beginning to walk with Jesus. And He teaches us. He changes us. He changes our heart. He changes us from the inside out. And all of a sudden, walking with Him is not a burden. It's not a duty. It's not this, some cross that we have to bear. It leads to delight because we get to see God at work. We get to see people connect with Jesus. We get to see kids connecting with Jesus. We get to see the kingdom grow and mushroom and be transformed. And the good news is that's where delight is found. Seeking Him, following Him, and He meets us. He gets to know us. And He shows us His delight in us, just like Jeremiah. And we begin to see Jesus not as some slave master. We see Jesus as lovely, as attractive. And He pulls us down that path of serving Him as a lifestyle. Let's stand and pray. Father, I realize that this is a kind of a hard sermon for some of us. And that where we live our lives in a box. But Lord, would you just give grace and love and assurance that you want to be just with them. You want people to get out of the boat and just be with you and follow you and learn from you and love you and you teach us how to serve. You transform us from the inside out and your Holy Spirit walks with us 
But Lord, I would just pray that as we walk toward you, that we would also see the opportunities that you're putting in front of it through your Holy Spirit. But help us to change our hearts. Help us delight in who you are. That we might know you and love you and respond in love back to you. So we give this day to you and ask you to work in our hearts. These things we pray in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, I'd encourage you to say hi to them. Have a great week. Turn on the air conditioners and uh, have a good time. (laughs) 